0: Content note, this episode of So Many Books, So Little Time contains references to warfare, atomic bombs, Hiroshima, religion, deeper philosophy, purpose of life, hypocrisy, and many, many more.
1: Hey, hey folks, Dave here. Andrew. And welcome to So Many Books,
0: So Little Time.
1: Today we will be starting a new season, reading uh, Chapter 1 of Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut music ah well it has been a while but we are recording a new season
0: hooray enter synthetic cheer center from Odin. Okay.
1: Yes, okay. Okay. Yes. <sighs> okay. I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll stop.
0: So we have sufficiently gassed ourselves up. Okay.
1: <laughs> that, that that Futurama. Oh, this man is overgasped.
0: <laughs>
1: I, I I work with a guy like we trade Simpsons quotes all the time, but he's never seen Futurama and all the great Futurama quotes. So i would like, ah, oh, I can't I can't throw them at you because you have no frame of reference. Damn it! As, yes.
0: I, I, we, we have several friends who I'm sure would enjoy very much the continuous Simpson references. And then there are others who would very much not enjoy the continuous yeah, yeah, yeah. Simpsons references.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've oh, got one friend who every time I make one, he's like, really, Simpsons reference? <laughs> and, and then without thinking, he'll make one just because it's all collectively in our brains.
0: It is part of the collective conscious, which is why it's so good at predicting things. Because it is truly a whole bunch of monkeys sitting in a room and just tripping out the human consciousness once in a while.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, that's, just...
0: That's, that's, that's a joke. That, that is not yeah. serious. Please not believe me when I say that.
1: It was the best of times. It was the blurst of times. You stupid monkey. <laughs> uh, I, I, I remember talking to a friend ages ago who theorized that we could probably hold entire conversations completely in Simpsons quotes. And I think that is true.
0: I, I'm sure it's just got enough seasons for the material. Well, of it.
1: it's also like I'm probably saying the wrong art movement, but kind of like this Dadaist kind of just. You you go a quote and your mind goes to a different episode or a different quote. It's like a so- free association, but it's all Simpsons quotes and it kind of ping-pongs around. So you you say one quote, other person says another, and then suddenly you're thinking one that's like you know three seasons away. You say that it's, that that happens. <laughs> I
0: think I think you that is I think that is Dadaism. I'm not sure. It's it's ADHD Dadaism. So H <laughs> D Dada A D A Dada H D h a A.H. data h ism maybe that's terrible and that's never gonna happen but okay
1: unlike you know when you're uh creating art based off star trek and the next generation which is dataism
0: <laughs> oh god these are terrible <laughs> so uh l- dear let readers, me ask, sorry <laughs> listeners, now you listeners, listeners. yes
1: you've never read any kurt vonnegut have you
0: I don't believe I have. I, I'm not sure because German school system. So mm. I know I've read something that might have been his, and I wanted to actually double check that now. Um, because the name, obviously the name is familiar because the name is it's Kurt Vonnegut. There are constant references and quotes that are made to Kurt Vonnegut, so fair enough. His, his, most, famous, his, bibliography.
1: Oh, his most famous book is probably Slaughterhouse-Five. Which um
0: brain not latching it, onto is that.
1: is kind of actually it's very very similar to Catch Twenty Two and that it's a war kind of a comedic war story.
0: I, yes, yes, comedic war stories. My favorite genre. <laughs> that that was that was sarcasm. Just put, put for those weren't <laughs> so, sure.
1: So what's the rating like with comedic war stories and dystopic fiction? <laughs> oh gosh, which is lower on the rung here?
0: Oh gosh! I, I look. There's, I I think dystopic fiction is a thing which I can understand, but then when you when you throw it, it when you try and I mean I get humor in wartime. I mean I watch Mash. I've watched Mash, so it's a thing. Um, I've watched things like Operation Dumbo Drop. I am not afraid to admit that um, things like that. So the, the just silliness that is related to war. But I think the Catch 22 was a whole nother. I think it was possibly also the fact that it just kept jumping back and forth in time. Like, wait, what just happened? Wait. So if, if it was linear in doing it, I probably would have coped better. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah. I appreciated the work for what it was. Like, I can mm-hmm. see it's brilliant in terms of, anyway, we're not doing catch rank too, but still. No, it, no, no. it was Well, yeah.
1: Was so painful. let me just run through, because um, I think I mentioned uh, when I read Cat's Cradle, I loved it so much. I'm like, oh, I need to read everything this man has ever written. And I've been doing that, but I have been limiting myself to one book a year. Mm. Uh, so after Cat's uh, Cradle, I read Slaughterhouse-Five, which yeah, is his most famous work. To be fair, I didn't like it that much. I do need to revisit it. But the year after, I read one called God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, which I really liked. Uh, then Breakfast of Champions the next year, which um, is kind of a book that uses characters from a lot of his other books. So maybe I read it too early, but I didn't like that one. And then last year I read one called The Sirens of Titan, which I really liked. He's mm. mostly, I'd say, like an absurdist science fiction author.
0: Mm. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out. I, I mustn't have uh, read his books, but I swear. It's, it's a kind of uh, it's the kind of book that you would read in the German in 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 uh, gra- the grade that I was in in Germany that's the kind of book that we would begin to read to deconstruct but we would be given a translated version which of course uh, you know some things translate well some things don't I, mm. I, I know that because I've, I've read a a book that was translated uh, there's been because I've read Books that are in English that I've read in German or vice versa, mm-hmm. and the, the the tone changes slightly, yeah, uh, depending yeah. on what it is. Not always. Sometimes the, the translation is just spot on, but yeah, well, once in a while,
1: we, we've Count of before. Monte Cristo is a good
0: example. Ah. Actually, I you haven't know, completely read it. I've kind of read most of it, but that's yeah, a book in, I in need to
1: um, read. Uh, I, I actually bought it last year with the idea yeah. of reading it. I haven't gotten to it. We thought we talked about reading it on a podcast, but it's a thousand-page book, so it's far too yeah, it's long. Too to long. Do it's that. too long. Um, but but it is you know, it but, is I,
0: it is one of my favorite books, though. Because but I like I couldn't finish the German one. Uh, I could finish the English, but I couldn't finish the German one because it just felt a little Was, awful,
1: was it awful written awful. in French? I know he uh, Dumas was a French guy.
0: Uh yes. 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 Right. Because, because, so, one, yeah.
1: I know we've talked about translation and the issue with that, mainly because of culture. But I also it just hit me then that one of the problems might also be because authors usually one becomes an author because they either love stories or they love language and they love playing mm-hmm. with language. And mm-hmm. you know, in your native language, that that's what you're most familiar with. So you yeah. obviously have the ability to play the most with your native. Language and, yeah. um, so th- the choices of words are often, you know, especially for the exceptional authors, are very precise. You know, the right word for yeah. the right feeling, meaning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, poetry is basically the art of that, yeah, the right yeah, this, word, the this. right meter, all that. So, so yes, it's even in a good translation, you know, you really aren't, yeah, you're, you're really not getting
0: the whole thing, no, and and. I will say though it's this is this is dangerously close to the conversation of people you know when they say, oh but but uh, you know you never really truly understand Chekhov or you never truly understand Dostoevsky unless you read it in the original Russia and you're going okay guys yes, but let's just calm down a little bit it's like not everyone is going to. Well, um, also
1: also getting ninety percent of the way there is still more than enough to. interface with the work
0: yes yes i mean there's there's work that uh, for example um exists by the okay michael ende who's uh, famously known for things like the never-ending story and those books they translated and they translated well i mean english and german have comparable, like they're they're Mm. comparable languages, they're pretty close, the same kind of language roots anyway. There's tonal differences Mm. in in German compared to English, at least from from my feeling of it. But still, I mean, we know the story works well, and people feel Mm.
1: it. Yeah, it's it's more like, you know, uh, so I'd say one of the uh, criticisms of the English language can be that there are far too many words. Uh, because, you know, English has spent its history just grabbing everything it can and basically putting into the English basket. So part of the beauty of, you know, being a reader in English, uh, as I talked about, uh, our authors crafting their sentences is, you know, uh, synonyms. Yes, we we can use a word that, we, you know, we might have 20 words that mean basically the same thing. But when you talked about shades or texture, yeah, it's just those. Well, Yes. This means the same as this, but this is used just for this this certain context over here. It, it, it lends itself better to what's yeah. being uh, conveyed, and I guess yes, in in um, either if you're approaching English as a second language or if you're reading a translation, the word the language that's being translated into might not have a, a a word that has the same nuance in it. So they might have to use something else, or they they might have a word that conveys different nuance because of their culture, or
0: it's or it's one of the synonyms. But in the case of the other language, that's where it has the appropriate context. So it's sometimes like uh, the word uh, handsome uh, and attractive. Mm. Um, and and those are like or it's a bad example, but like those kind of words, like dusk or um, uh, fair. Fair is actually a really really good example of one. Depending on the context it's used, it has very different meanings. Mm. Fair, being fair, and then in in other languages there'll be other words to describe the different things, as opposed to using the word fair. And then the word fair might be a completely different meaning depending on the context it's used again for those languages. It gets, it gets fascinating to, to watch. It's a nice little tapestry that we've created humanity, but yes. Um, but yeah. So I've been interested in, uh, it's, it's a, it's a complicated convoluted tapestry, uh, or, you know, it's like a piece of string that one has, uh, you know, woven into an intricate complex pattern such as, a cat's cradle. Sorry, God. I am trying very hard to segue.
1: Rue, master of segues.
0: <laughs> Attempt.
1: Jeez. Okay, so um, hmm, I'm wondering if I should actually read the synopsis or even try to explain what, what the main plot of the book is or if we should just dump, jump in.
0: I'm assuming there's a central character. <laughs> That's that's as far as I've got, and and that they're going through something.
1: Actually, let me just go to the blurb um, where I bought the book, and let's see if that's actually appropriate for me to read. Yeah, yeah, no, they, like like many synopsises, this one gives away too much. You know, I when I read this book, I didn't actually read the synopsis. I just heard of Cat's Cradle and decided to dive in. It was right time, right place. Um, so when when certain things were introduced, it's like, oh, that's really cool. Whereas I just read the synopsis. It's like, oh, it gives that all away in the synopsis. <laughs>
0: so I'm just going to go with there's a person going through stuff. And most uh. likely a male central figure, mainly because not not to say that male authors can't write women, but often if there's some sort of. Projection by the author into the character themselves, then likely to select the same oh. gender.
1: Yeah, well, you're not wrong, but but actually, I, I can I can talk about genre. This is a science fiction novel. Excellent. Uh, yes. It is also it, it is a satire of both politics and religion, mostly religion. I see. I see. Which is why when I uh, funny funny story. So this let's see. This is book. Four for me, my fourth pick. Because yeah, Brave New World, sorry, 1984, Brave New World, Catch-22, Cat Squirtle. Yep. So this is the fourth pick. Back when I started the podcast, I had already planned out the first five books I wanted to read. So we're almost at the end of that list. And book five, I picked kind of in response to what this book is. Mm. Kind of like I picked Catch-22 in response to something more lighthearted after Brave New World in 1984, but I had forgotten how. Uh, <laughs> giving I'm giving me quite you a, a stare.
0: <laughs> I'm giving a stare. Am like going lighthearted? I
1: Quote, had forgotten
0: unquote, light.
1: Oh, I have a funny story Airports. about that. I think I I think I forget the darkness in stories. Um,
0: I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. No, no, no. Because
1: years ago, um, my roommate had not seen uh, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zazu, the Wes Anderson film. And I owned it on DVD. And I love that film. But I had not watched it for like 10 years. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember loving this film. It's got a lot of comedy in it. You know, it stars Bill Murray. It's, oh, it's great. So you sat down and watched it. And he was like, Dave, you said this was funny. Why is it so sad and melancholic? And I had forgotten how, yeah, morose it is. (laughs) Like, like, it it seems like I had just remembered the bright spots.
0: You know what? That's not a bad thing. A lot of people only see the dark spots. In your case, you've decided to... Only perceive the funny humorous side of it, which is okay. Which is okay. I am well, now very nervous about catch Twenty 20- well, yes. cats old, but
1: Yes, I, I might have I might have to apologize to you and the readers right now, because I remember this being a fun,
0: <laughs> a fun lighthearted jaunt um, into complex metaphysical discussion.
1: I also remember it being far more absurdist than catch-22, which um, that that's Kurt Vonnegut's style. He is much more I I almost say like American proto Pratchett.
0: Okay, 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 okay. But but I, I, uh, that that's that's so after
1: nice. reading uh, five of his books now.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. We we will we will we will dive in and 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 see how things turn out. Yay. Okay, Yay. let's start
1: with a catch twenty. Sorry, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be accidentally calling it catch twenty two. I think for the same. whole season because it's got
0: cat's cradle. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Same. Yep.
1: Yep. Also, same era. Uh, Yeah. Both Joseph Heller and Kurt Vonnegut were writing in the 60s. I think they both served in World War II. Mm. So, um, okay. Cat's Cradle. I almost did it again in my head. Chapter one, The Day the World Ended.
0: Wait, Dave. There's a disclaimer or a quote before you start.
1: Yeah. Ah, right. I have to go back before the table of contents. Okay. Nothing in this book is true. Live by the FOMA that make you brave and kind and healthy and happy. The books of Baconin I-5. And FOMA is uh, footnoted as harmless untruth. (laughs) So live by the harmless untruths that make you brave and kind and healthy and happy.
0: Excellent. Okay.
1: Kind of already see the uh, satirizing of religion, even with that little thing.
0: Yes, yes.
1: So call me Jonah. My parents did or nearly did. They called me John. Jonah, John, if I had been a Sam, I would have been a Jonah still. Not because I had been unlucky for others, but because somebody or something has compelled me to be certain places at certain times without fail. Conveniences and motives, both conventional and bizarre, have been provided. And according to plan, at each appointed second, at each appointed place, this Jonah was there. Rue, you've got a very confused look on your face.
0: <laughs> okay, yes, yes, yes.
1: Listen, when I was a younger man, two wives ago, 250,000 cigarettes ago, 3,000 quarts of booze ago, when I was a much younger man, I began to collect material for a book to be called The Day the World Ended. The book was to be factual. The book was to be an account of what important Americans had done on the day when the first atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, Japan. It was to be a Christian book. I was a Christian then. I am a Baconanist now. I would have been a Baconanist then, if there had been anyone to teach me the bittersweet lies of Baconan. But Baconanism was unknown beyond the gravel beaches and coral knives that ring this little island in the Caribbean Sea, the Republic of San Lorenzo. We Baconanists believe that humanity is organized into teams. Teams that do God's will without ever discovering what they are doing. Such a team is called a caress by Bakonin, and the instrument, the khan-kan, that brought me into my own particular caress was the book I never finished, the book to be called The Day the World Ended. Oh, that's chapter one. (laughs) Really short chapters here. Hmm. Anything to say so far?
0: No. It's Interesting. (laughs)
1: We'll continue. Maybe at the end of the hour, depending how many chapters we get through, that'll be good to collate your thoughts.
0: Yes, yes, yes. But uh, as
1: usual, just ring in if you want to at any time. (laughs) Uh, Chapter two. Nice, nice, very nice. If you find your life tangled up with somebody else's life for no very logical reasons, writes Baconin, that person may be a member of your caress. At another point in the books of Bacconin, he tells us, Man created the checkerboard, God created the caress. By that he means that the caress ignores national, institutional, occupational, familial, and class boundaries. It is as free form as an amoeba. In his 53rd Calypso, Bacconin invites us to sing along with him, Oh a sleeping drunkard up in Central Park, and a lion hunter in the jungle dark, and a Chinese dentist, and a British queen, all fit together in the same machine. Nice, nice, very nice. Nice, nice, very nice. Nice, nice, very nice. So many different people in the same device.
0: Uh huh. I, ha, so already I'm kind of reflecting. It's a little bit of the, you know, when you, the need to have an explanation for things. Like, hmm, I'm trying to think of how to phrase it. It's 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 like it's uh, we can take it as a satire of religion, but I'm kind of taking it more as a commentary on the need to have explanations for things. So uh, the kind of mental approach that actually leads to what we uh, the the, what can lead to a conspiracy theory mindset, um, which is the need to understand have control over what is actually happening and to have that you have to have some sort of reasoning as to why things are happening a certain way like why am i on this airplane with this person next to me oh they must there must be some greater connection and reason and but you needing that kind of thing and 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 okay and that that is some people's belief system and today i've had a real doozy of a day actually that 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 very random situation that I might go into a bit uh, later, but it's it's less okay. that it's yeah it's it's interesting because it's it is the the first line says it all here in chapter two, which is if you find your life tangled up with somebody else's life for no very logical reasons, yes, hmm. but the thing is logical reasons require a foundation of having all the information that that is available to you.
1: Well, also, and, also, I'm just thinking yeah. like the idea that if you find yourself tangled up with someone for no logical reason, that kind of precludes friends and family because there's very logical reasons why you spend your lives around friends and family.
0: Yes, but I think it's more also like if, for example, you keep encountering uh, the same person crossing the traffic at the tra- traffic light where you are mm. every time you go to Sydney. Yeah. Every time you go to Sydney, every time you go to that traffic light, you happen to encounter the same person. The odds are very very very, very, very small that that would happen at all, right? So it's mm. a very random chance. but they're not zero because if that per- as long as that other person exists and you exist, the encounter is a possibility. even if it is incredibly infinitely unlikely possibility, it is still a possibility. And I think the the it's because we want logical reasons. we want it to make sense. we want to be able to explain. Why is it that I keep encountering, I've been to Sydney three times and every time I've seen this person at the traffic light, you know? <laughs> so did I just like, well, well, like, like, like uh, I've been to Sydney three times and every time I've seen this person. Like you the need to explain it as opposed to, look, it does just random, these things can randomly happen.
1: Well, to talk Terry Pratchett uh, in Guards, Guards, uh, there's the idea that million and one uh, chances happen all the
0: time. Yes, they do because they happen. A million and a one, this happened. Yeah. It's and also there's the other thing of um, it brings me back to this idea of when, you know, we've had this conversation before about rare rare conditions, rare complications in, in healthcare. A, the odds of seeing something medically rare in healthcare automatically goes up because people are seeking healthcare. Mm-hmm. Therefore, in that setting, what would be considered rare in the general population is actually not necessarily rare in the population that is seeking medical assistance or has health issues. Mm. So in a a population with health issues, that concept of rare, like one in a million, actually changes. And we don't adjust it. We just go with the rate of incidence. Oh, well, it's one in a million. So it's very unlikely that you have the thing. It's like, well, yes, but out of the people who actually are sick and seeking help, what are the odds? Very different... Way of seeing things. Yeah.
1: Well, and it's also that um, oh, I've, I forgot the name of what it is in our brain, but the idea that you know, once you buy a green car, suddenly you see green cars everywhere yes. because your brain has kind of been keyed into this is an important detail now. Confirmation
0: it's part- bias. Uh, it's, comprom- it's a form of confirmation bias. It's a it's a if you're a hammer, everything you see is a nail. If you're a oh, dentist, uh, b- everything. But but, but, you see but
1: is n- not not in, in a bad way. Just the idea that no. Uh, are are kind of like the example I I want to use is ever since my father passed away of motor neuron disease, I've seemed to have encountered multiple either meeting people or hearing stories about people who've been affected by that or had family members affected by yeah. that. When before my dad got it, I had never heard it before.
0: Yeah. Yes. And it's because it suddenly something becomes a priority, so you actually pay attention to it more so. Mm. Then, then, and yeah, yes, and that happens all the time, and we have that happen in, uh, science. We have that happen in healthcare. We have that happen in general. Um, well,
1: the the oh. way it was explained to me though, it, with the green car, it's like, you know, there were just as many green cars on the road before he bought one. But you had no need to ever take notice of a green car. So, you know, no, your brain exactly. filtered out the information. But once you got it, suddenly you have a green car. Green cars yeah. have a, a modicum of importance to you. Suddenly you can, it, yeah. your brain kind of goes, ah, oh, this information is probably useful to you.
0: There's also a very weird kind of kinship when you see the same model car, the same <laughs> color car. It's a very strange thing. And it's, 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 I mean, I wonder if that's the whole discussion of the psychology of humans and they're, they're constantly seeking belonging and kinship. And so that's a whole Mm -hmm. nother, uh, aspect. But the, but I mean, if we took that, that, uh, that thing, the, the wanting to explain things and understand stuff and you, and combine that with, uh, the need for connection and belonging, that's what this chapter is about. That's what this chapter is discussing.
1: I wish say I really do love the part of the song. Talk, well, even before the song, actually talking about how your caress isn't, it, it has no boundaries on it. You know, that uh, yeah. the, more and more, especially when I read about people who have been brought up, you know, like abusive homes and have to find their mm-hmm. families elsewhere. The idea that, you know, that the, the collectives you make don't have to be kind of
0: yeah.
1: uh, set for you. You can go find your own people.
0: And. I, look I, we know that this is mockery we know that it's, it's thing but there is one aspect about it that that isn't wrong it's n- not that necessarily uh that that uh, there is a lot that, like you need to understand why you're connected to others all humanity we are literally stuck on this planet together yeah yeah with a few fair few with the exception of a few handful of people who who uh, occasionally visit the space stations <laughs> um but but where generally there is an interconnectedness, it's just that we dismiss it a lot yes. because it doesn't affect our immediate reality most and, of the time.
1: Um, I, I'm just thinking maybe I actually did this a disservice and uh, uh, colored not only your um, impressions of this book, but the people mm. listening, because I remember it being a satire religion, but I might be wrong this might be, yeah, it might before. not be,
0: it, it might not be. I mean, yes, part of it, uh, you can feel a sense of, uh, there is a tone, there's a tone in there that's kind of going, if you're willing to believe this, then why don't you just believe that? Like that kind of vibe to it. But well, well, I mean, it started with, it started with the quote, like do the things, if they help you be a good person or do the right thing, yeah. then whatever those those nice little lies are, that's fine. And, and it, I, I would argue that that's possibly a note from the author saying, look, Whatever you, you need to believe to make you a better person, you go ahead and believe that.
1: And um, um, that the yeah. line, let me find it because I thought it was very, Ah, uh, oh, come on. There we go. Uh, the book was to be an account of what important Americans had done on the day when the first atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. I was, uh, it was to be a Christian book. That seems very scathing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. There are layers to it that are going how can, I mean, I, I'd say it's a commentary of how can we claim to be one thing and be believing in one thing and then how can someone believe in one thing and then do something absolutely abhorrent to another to a whole group of people.
1: And, and, What's and the, the justification. Of, and the dummy of the nose, it's like it's not even about what happened in Hiroshima or the people that dropped the bomb. It's in quotes, important Americans. What what were people elsewhere doing?
0: <laughs> mm, mm, mm.
1: But uh, shall we continue? Yes, yes. yes. Okay, Chapter 3, Folly. Nowhere does Baconin warn against a person's trying to discover the limits of his caress and the nature of the work God Almighty has had it do. Baconin simply observes that such investigations are bound to be incomplete. In the autobiographical section of the books of Baconin, he writes a parable on the folly of pretending to discover, to understand, I once knew an Episcopalian lady in Newport, Rhode Island, who asked me to design and build a doghouse for her great Dane. The lady claimed to understand God and his ways of working perfectly. She could not understand why anyone should be puzzled about what had been or about what was going to be. And yet, when I showed her a blueprint of the doghouse I proposed to build, she said to me, I'm sorry, but I could never read one of those things. Give it to your husband or your minister to pass on to God, I said. And when God finds a minute, I'm sure he'll explain this doghouse of mine in a way that even you can understand. She fired me. I shall never forget her. She believed that God liked people in sailboats much better than he liked people in motorboats. She could not bear to look at a worm. When she saw a worm, she screamed. She was a fool, and so am I. And so is anyone who thinks he sees what God is doing, writes Baconin.
0: You know what's funny? I don't actually disagree with it (laughs) Yeah, But that's also because I, it, it's uh, not necessarily the whole caress um, business. Although, if we took caress to also mean all the different humans and interactions... <coughs> can i going to have a deep philosophical moment for a second. Mm-hmm. When, when do we not? So every one of us that exists now, right now, like this, this moment, sitting here existing, listening to the podcast, reading a book sitting at a computer, whatever. We exist because millions have existed before us. yeah, And millions currently exist, billions currently exist. We are part, and, and I know there's this whole, there's a there's a Tumblr thing or something out there that says, you know, we're the sum total of humanity at this particular point in time. And so, oh, okay, that's not great. Forget the pressure part of it. I think mm-hmm. it's more a case of, hey, it, it took, conversations it took choices it took you know decisions and we are a culmination at one particular moment in time and we continue to contribute towards it whether we personally have offspring or not Mm -hmm. we're contributing to this ongoing evolving existence of humanity Mm -hmm. and then how we decide to contribute to it that's absolutely our individual choice
1: and we've talked about this before. How yeah. we never can tell what our contribution will be, either.
0: No, and I think it's interesting because so if you believe in if you believe in God as a concept, um, if you believe in God as a if you believe in some sort of universe surpassing force, whatever it is that, you, however you want to term it. Mm trying to understand like we our lives are finite in terms of Mm. our physical lives we have we have physical finite lives in terms of the impact that we can have we don't know Mm. we don't know because we're we're part of something also bigger than Mm. than ourselves individually but it's the small things that we do that contributes to the bigger thing Mm. yeah but the, the finite, trying to understand something, if if we are... Call, I mean, literally the term is God Almighty. If Almighty is literally meaning Almighty, meaning mm-hmm. beyond the universe, how the heck does something that is composed of matter that is finite in existence, that is determined by their particular choices or whoever they particularly are, one particular how the heck does that speck of dust have a grasp on something that is beyond the, the constraints of the universe.
1: That is, that is something I've always struggled with when um, confronted by folks who have a deep faith in that they know what is right, what is wrong, what what God expects of them. And you, yeah. basically what is more, you know, basically, I don't want to say they're like that lady, but there's elements.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think it, it, there's... So, so, sorry, there's, Ru, could yeah. I just... Yeah, sorry, yeah. Um, sure. yeah.
1: Uh, it's it's just yeah um, uh, I guess I should say I'm agnostic so I don't follow any faith but I do believe in something larger than myself um, yeah. Uh, yeah 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 uh, you know I I've done lots of soul searching over the years heck I, I believe in the soul I think there probably is something that lives on after we die I don't know it just it just feels like. And maybe it is that fear of death being the end, but it just feels like there's something more to me than the the physiological what is here, um, yeah. and and there's something more to the way this world works than well, okay. I, I want I think there's some there's definitely more to the world works than we know. I mean that's what science we keep discovering more and more about how our universe is put together and it keeps creating more questions. You know, um, <laughs> but, um, but I I don't know what form such a being would take if it even has any interest or interacts with what we are at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's the thing. It, it just seems so, I mean, yes, we have all these holy texts and prophets throughout our history that purport to know what's going on in the truth and you know, people live their lives by them. And to be honest, for most of it, I have no problem. It's, it's that whole thing. Yeah. Believe whatever you want if it helps you be a better person. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to do the same. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to follow my path the best I can follow it. Um but but it is it, it kinda of does great on me. It kind of, you know, twists the metaphorical knife and when I when I see these yeah. folks who 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 have such conviction and yet what I see through their actions and their attitudes, I'm like, you know, if if the god you say exists, I don't think they would think much of what you're doing.
0: Mm-mm. And that's, and I think that's where it's, it's, it's hard. Like it's, I think like I, I have a, a faith that I ascribe to, or I, I strive to put into reality and it's not without challenges. It's not without mm-hmm. personal crises and difficulties. Like the, the, those things are part and parcel, I think of being human, whether it is the crisis in a, in faith or crisis in personal confidence or crisis or whatever it is. But I think the, the, I think that, looking looking just at the chapter just coming to the chapter Mm -hmm. this idea that a human being can grasp something that is far beyond the the concept of 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 what humanity is Mm. is 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 yeah there's a humor in that and i think that the way that it was humorously addressed is is interesting at the same time and because I, I do have faith, I don't, it's not that I believe necessarily that God directly interacts with his creation. Mm. And I'm using his grammatically, not because I ascribe gender to something that mm. is beyond gender. It's just weird grammar. So if it's, you know, it, whether, um, there's a whole, there's the whole, um, I mean, this is going into the deeper, like logos versus, um, Oh, was it there's a whole discussion on it. I've had a, I was in a discussion on it actually the other day where we were talking about like is it the 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 concept of you know when we use the concepts of the word of God are we talking literally like here's God dictating to someone and write it down or are we talking and, and I apologize for the flippant kind of tone that I'm putting out here but it's not flippant I mean it respectfully but are we or are we talking that there is there is an influence of God upon individuals whether it specialized individuals whether it's like through an indirect means but it is di- as direct as you're going to get to to something that surpasses reality I guess mm. um, so it's, it's kind of so like intermediary steps <laughs> a few few steps in between, and and yeah, so it gets really. Uh, I can't remember the the actual conversation, but it was a good one. It was about like um, logos versus, and the 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 proper theologian people can can discuss this better than I can. I I will say that. Isn't logos
1: a La- Latin for logic?
0: Yes. So there's the difference between the literal um, connection. Um, so so. Uh, I will get the exact phrasing because it was okay, a, it was yeah, a yeah. really good good
1: I, I just want to point out as you're searching Rue that this yes. two-page silly chapter about a woman talking to dog about sorry, about this woman talking to God about her doghouse has led to this discussion
0: Well yeah no it's a good conversation and I think we should have these conversations mm. whether if we can have these conversations in a way that we're not sitting here and going oh you're silly to believe in this fairy tale or oh, oh no, I never want to do that Never yeah, no, and it it doesn't make sense because like if it works for those people, mm-hmm. I think what does frustrate, and I can appreciate the frustration of hypocrisy, but I think that's where we also have to remember: a humans have challenges, and they are also affected, as we said, by those products of those generations and generations. If you've got generations and generations of Mm. psychologically unsafe behavior and survival strategies what are you gonna see you're gonna see distortion of what could potentially like, because i mean if you look at the teachings of, of uh like the pure teachings of most religions without getting into what the humans kind of kind of tacked onto to in and their interpretations but if you look at the pure purer aspects of it yeah be be loving towards one another be respectful don't kill each other be caring look after the elderly look after children look after like mm-hmm. they're, they're all generally you know yeah there's some variations in terms of dietary requirements there's some variations in terms of physical cleanliness requirements all that stuff okay sure but in terms of the the at the core uh, that's where we have you know the concept of the golden rule that was i think a more yeah, yeah. modernized phrasing but just Look out for each other, when, be when there I, for each other
1: when I was an yeah. edgier person in my early twenties, I used to like to flippantly say that every religion could be boiled down to don't be a dick
0: i mean not wrong um, <laughs> and I think the 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 things that get added on is the selective to whom mm. one is and isn't who is you know love thy neighbor okay well i that means the people that I consider my neighbor mm. And, it's and then, like, no, so did I stutter? Everyone. <laughs> I know. And then the next one is also like, what is your concept of love? Love,
1: mm. there's
0: love, and then there's love that is tempered with paternalism. And mm. no, Nothing wrong with fathers. Fathers are great. But paternalism as a concept is not. Because it implies that you believe that you know best for someone else what they should be doing or being or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some people, it's genuinely because they're like, I don't want my best friend to end up in... Uh, because there's the literal belief in hell for for many people. You know, I don't want my best friend to end up burning in hell and being poked with devil blades or whatever. Like, you, there's that literalism that, that pops in. I don't know what they are called. Fork devil prong- blades. Devil <laughs> blades. <laughs> Fork prongy things. Garden utensils. I don't know. But then there's other ways of, of seeing things as well. And I think, mm. um, yeah, there was there was a, a... I'll find the expression which was... Cool. I believe uh, logos versus will. Versus will. So yes, they were talking about the word as in the logos or will, or the word as in the holy books. And that's that was a it was a whole discussion that was really interesting. So logos is being um Yeah. So anyway, it gets it gets interesting. When you when you dig into it, there's different understandings of for example, whether you know when we say, Oh, it's the will of God, that expression? it can frustrate me hmm. personally because i see it here it used as an excuse not to be accountable for one's actions
1: and and to to circle back to kind of what started this conversation yeah. how will any of us know the will of god
0: exactly and that's that's the whole point like the, but if we perceive the will of god as something that's being also far beyond our understanding and our application but it is what allows allows access to those who might have if you believe, like, have a message hmm. that indicates the direction we're hoped to strive for, then yeah. I mean, yes. It's, it's, and it's constantly being challenged. I think uh, personally, I just think tr- you, if you connect with something, whether you fully ascribe to everything, everything about it, it's not a all or nothing situation. If you find something that lends you the ability to, Uh, develop and nourish those values that you hold Mm -hmm. dear if it encourages you to be a person who is you know part of the world wherever it is whether it's you go to your workplace and you're a trustworthy individual and whether you need religion or not whether you have faith or not whether whatever it is that encourages you to be the person that ascribes to values that you hold dear and develop as a person in the context of the the world that you live in Yay. That's, <laughs> Yay. That, good. Yes. Great. Like, mm. if it helps you, it helps you. And if, if you feel that when you, you can have a conversation, have a conversation with your friends about stuff that could be potentially uncomfortable in a consensual and respectful way. Mm. Um, I think the biggest danger we have, and I, even these first three chapters, it's all about, I guess, people realizing that they aren't in control that is but wanting control but they aren't actually in control and they can't possibly know so it's fascinating to anyway so it's interesting
1: well let's do at least one more yes yes uh oh tongue twister chapter 4 a tentative tangling of tendrils be that as it may I intend in this book to include as many members of my caress as possible, and I mean to examine all strong hints as to what on earth we collectively have been up to. I do not intend that this book be a tract on behalf of Baconinism. I should like to offer a Baconinist warning about it, however. The first sentence in the books of Baconin is this. All of the true things I am about to tell you are shameless lies. My Baconinist warning is this. Anyone unable to understand how a useful religion can be founded on lies will not understand this book either. So be it. About my caress then. It surely includes the three children of Dr. Felix Hoinecker, one of the so-called fathers of the first atomic bomb. Dr. heinecker himself was no doubt a member of my caress, though he was dead before my snookas. The tendrils of my life began to tangle with those of his children. The first of his heirs to be touched by my Sanukas was Newton Hoinecker, the youngest of his three children, the younger of his two sons. I learned from the publication of my fraternity, the Delta Upsilon Quarterly, that Newton Heinecker, son of the Nobel Prize physicist Felix Heinecker, had been pledged by my chapter, the Cornell chapter. So I wrote this letter to Newt, Dear Mr. Hoinecker, or should I say Dear Brother Hoinecker. I am a Cornell DU now making my living as a freelance writer. I am gathering material for a book relating to the first atomic bomb. Its contents will be limited to events that took place on August 6, 1945, the day the bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. Since your late father is generally recognized as having been one of the chief creators of the bomb, I would very much appreciate any anecdotes you might care to give me of life in your father's house on the day the bomb was dropped. I am sorry to say that I don't know as much about your illustrious family as I should, and so don't know whether you have brothers and sisters. If you do have brothers and sisters, I should like very much to have their addresses so that I can send similar requests to them. I realized that you were very young when the bomb was dropped, which is all to the good. My book is going to emphasize the human rather than the technical side of the bomb, so recollections of the day through the eyes of a baby, if you'll pardon the expression, would fit in perfectly. You don't have to worry about style and form. Leave all that to me. Just give me the bare bones of your story. I will, of course, submit the final version to you for your approval prior to publication. Fraternally yours.
0: That's very nicely ethical in terms of I will submit your final form prior for approval. Very nice, very
1: nice. Mm. Continue. Yes, yes. Chapter 5 Letter from a Premed, to which Newt replied I am sorry to be so long about answering your letter. That sounds like a very interesting book you are doing. I was so young when the bomb was dropped that I don't think I'm going to be much help. You should really ask my brother and sister, who are both older than I am. My sister is Mrs. Harrison C. Connors. 4918 North Meridian Street, Indianapolis, Indiana. That is my home address too now. I think she will be glad to help you. Nobody knows where my brother Frank is. He disappeared right after father's funeral 2 years ago and nobody has heard from him since. For all we know, he may be dead now. I was only 6 years old when they dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima, so anything I remember about that day other people have helped me to remember. I remember I was playing on the living room carpet outside my father's study door in Ilium, New York. The door was open and I could see my father. He was wearing pajamas and a bathrobe. He was smoking a cigar. He was playing with a loop of string. Father was staying home from the laboratory in his pajamas all day that day. He stayed home whenever he wanted to. Father, as you probably know, spent practically his whole professional life working for the research laboratory of the General Forge and Foundry Company in Ilium. When the Manhattan Project came along, the bomb project, Father wouldn't leave Ilium to work on it. He said he wouldn't work on it at all unless they let him work where he wanted to work. A lot of the time that meant at home. The only place he liked to go outside of Ilium was our cottage on Cape Cod. Cape Cod was where he died. He died on a Christmas Eve. You probably know that too. Anyway, I was playing on the carpet outside his study on the day of the bomb. My sister Angela tells me I used to play with little toy trucks for hours, making motor sounds going Burton 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 all the time. (laughs) So I guess I was going Burton 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 on the day of the bomb, and father was in his study playing with a loop of string. It so happens I know where the string he was playing with came from. Maybe you can use it somewhere in your book. Fathers took the string from around the manuscript of a novel that a man in prison had sent him. The novel was about the end of the world in the year 2000, and the name of the book was 2000 AD. It told about how mad scientists made a terrific bomb that wiped out the whole world. There was a big sex orgy when everybody knew that the world was going to end, and then Jesus Christ himself appeared 10 seconds before the bomb went off. The name of the author was Marvin Sharpholderness and he told Father in a covering letter that he was in prison for killing his own brother. He sent the manuscript to Father because he couldn't figure out what kind of explosives to put in the bomb. He thought maybe Father could make suggestions. I don't mean to tell you I read the book when I was 6. We had it around the house for years. My brother Frank made it his personal property on account of the dirty parts. Frank kept it hidden in what he called his wall safe in his bedroom. Actually, it wasn't a safe, but just an old stove flue with a tin lid. Frank and I must have read the orgy part a thousand times when we were kids. We had it for years, and then my sister Angela found it. She read it and said it was nothing but a piece of dirty, rotten filth. She burned it up and the string with it. She was a mother to Frank and me because our real mother died when I was born. My father never read the book, I'm pretty sure. I don't think he ever read a novel or even a short story in his whole life, or at least not since he was a little boy. He didn't read his mail or magazines or newspapers either. I suppose he read a lot of technical journals, but to tell you the truth, I can't remember my father reading anything. As I say, all he wanted from that manuscript was the string. That was the way he was. Nobody could predict what he was going to be interested in next. On the day of the bomb, it was string. Have you ever read the speech he made when he accepted the Nobel Prize? This is the whole speech. Ladies and gentlemen, I stand before you now because I never stop dawdling like an 8 year old on a spring morning on his way to school. Anything can make me stop and look and wonder, and sometimes learn. I'm a very happy man. Thank you. Anyway, father looked at that loop of string for a while and then his fingers started playing with it his fingers made the string figure called a cat's cradle. I don't know where father learned how to do that. From his father, maybe. His father was a tailor, you know, so there must have been thread and string around all the time when father was a boy. Making that cat's cradle was the closest I ever saw my father come to playing what anybody else would call a game. He had no use at all for tricks and games and rules that other people made up, In a scrapbook my sister Angela used to keep up, there was a clipping from Time Magazine where somebody asked father what games he played for relaxation. And he said, why should I bother with made up games when there are so many real ones going on? He must have surprised himself when he made a cat's cradle out of the string, and maybe it reminded him of his own childhood. He all of a sudden came out of his study and did something he'd never done before. He tried to play with me. Not only had he never played with me before, He had hardly ever even spoken to me, but he went down on his knees on the carpet next to me and he showed me his teeth and he waved that tangle of string in my face. See, 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 he asked. Cat's cradle. See that cat's cradle. See where the nice pussycat sleeps. Meow, meow. His pores looked as big as craters on the moon. His ears and nostrils were stuffed with hair. Cigar smoke made him smell like the mouth of hell. So close up, my father was the ugliest thing I had ever seen. I dream about it all the time. And then he sang, rock Catsy, in the treetop, he sang. When the wind blows, the cradle doll will rock. If the bell breaks, the cray-doll will fall. Down will come Cradle, Catsy and all. I burst into tears. I jumped up and I ran out of the house as fast as I could go. I have to sign off here. It's after two in the morning. My roommate just woke up and complained about the noise from the typewriter. Mm. <laughs> I this this is something from the other books. He has a really interesting way of uh, uh Kurt Vonnegut has a very interesting way of writing people and explaining their motivations and their interactions that I like. Mm.
0: No, it's really interesting like it's very good at bringing these like these characters to life. Mm. It, it's it's really well done. And it like, makes you also question, like, why was, it, like, w- what motivated the father to interact for the, like, basically the first time with their kid? And you're like, okay, it's unusual to see that considering lives were being wiped out on the other end of the world kind of thing. Yeah.
1: And, interesting and even contrast. Sorry.
0: It's, it's an interesting contrast.
1: Well, even that, that little uh, Nobel Prize speech he made where he's like, I never stopped dawdling like a kid late for school. I look at anything capture my interest. Sometimes I learn. I'm very happy. Thank you.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Like the the there's little bits that have been kind of dropped in between as well. Like my mother died when like mother dies when the youngest was born. The oldest daughter is the one who's basically been raising them. The other brothers basically run off. Mm-hmm. And they think he's probably dead. So it was a very dysfunctional, disrupted family.
1: Yeah, the father also is like I imagine being a scientist asked to work on the Manhattan Project would have been like the highest honor, and he's like, Well, as long as I don't have to leave my my city.
0: Yeah. Um there's there's behavior here that, that sounds like someone who's incredibly, you know, withdrawn and disconnected from life like having a kid that's six years old who's not used to actually having you converse with them or interact with them or ever play with them is a huge, like there's, there's a rocket's red glare level of red flag kind of.
1: Well, even, even like he has that memory of like seeing the pores close up and smelling the cigar smoke from the mouth of hell. And, you know, just like his father's almost not even like a father to him is this weird man
0: (laughs) It's distorted and character. Yeah. Well, from the perspective of a six year old who's, I think that's actually really well done because it's from a perspective of a six year old who's never really interacted with their father, especially not up close, personal to play games or something like that. That would be terrifying.
1: Well, also also just hit me that he said, I don't actually remember that day very well. I had to ask other people and he did mention he's sleeping um, with his sister at the moment, so maybe he asked her. But then near the end of the letter, it seems he remembers quite a lot from that day.
0: Yeah, I think it's more like the had to be reminded a little bit of some of the stuff. Like, oh yeah, I remember this and I remember that. So, but I mean, as we as the uh, or the author in the book, the author in the the author author <laughs> authorception. Sorry, uh, the has pointed out that there. Um, there's basically, it's untruth. Like, Hmm. nothing about this is potentially real. But it's it's an effective story. And I think it's interesting because it's almost like Kurt Vonnegut also saying, like, guys, I'm I'm completely making this up. But what if? And it feels, it's believable. Mm -hmm. It's believable that something like that would happen, that you'd have a really twisted, unhealthy um, relationship going on there. The family dynamics fair, like and maybe just the fact that the, the uh, like the the father going was surprised so he must have surprised himself when he made the cat's cradle out of the string, and maybe it reminded him of his own childhood, and then that suddenly where it's like, oh yeah, childhood, kids, you know i actually yeah i i I wonder about people who make um it's the same way we've had this discussion regarding combat and veterans coming back and how the transition back into society can be incredibly, like, again, not from personal experience, but from what just even you can imagine it would be incredibly difficult.
1: Mm.
0: Going from a space where your actions potentially, well, potentially, some, some people's actions directly have led to the loss of lives of children or families or whatever because there's no there is no war without civilian Mm -hmm. um loss and then say you know having a family of your own and 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 trying to keep those things trying to keep those aspects separate but at the same time um not losing your humanity Mm -hmm. man i uh yeah, well i, I, like I often it.
1: think with um the bomb as well like you know there's there's like that famous television appearance Oppenheimer did you know, like years after the bomb dropped where he seemed to be completely guilt ridden from the work yeah. he did and yeah. uh and I,
0: yeah and i think that there's there's things like like knowing that you've contributed to that in any way and when it hits your core Conscience, like when it mm. actually strikes you and i think that this is kind of what might be being implied here that suddenly he's had a moment where he's flicked back to childhood and realized oh i've got children and i've got you know pay then i think it's it's trying to cope with the potentially staggering loss of lives that one has directly contributed towards mm. that would be man yeah
1: it's um, and, and I don't have an answer myself, but you know, at this very early part in the book, we have the title,, yes. the father has made a cat's cradle out of a piece of string."
0: And the way that it's done is done in such a random manner as well it's like he didn't he was surprised to see it, like he didn't even realize he'd done it like it mm. this is someone who doesn't play games and doesn't do tricks and whatever, and then oh okay, that oh yeah, as a kid, I used to do that like that that weird connection that that
1: and he got suggests. the string from a comic book sent to him by a felon,
0: yes, that was actually. I mean, arguing that this was not arguing. He was he was presenting a science fiction novel that was dystopian that was probably um, inspired by real events. Mm-hmm. That's how we're gonna phrase that.
1: Well, he 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 wanted his expertise on what kind of explosives to use for the the bomb that wipes out everyone in the year two thousand. Well,
0: well, he 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 got that in the mm. news on that day, so. Concerning
1: it, it, um, actually, just just kind of thinking about that, then, yeah, I I wonder because you know at that period most most Americans or actually everyone around the world would either have television news or more likely radio or newspapers. So it's like, what was that news of that like, just hitting all over the world? That would have been, I I guess the only thing that comes close in my lifetime is the evening when i found out about the twin towers in 2001
0: yeah i mean there's there's a lot of but there was still a disconnect also for people even then like they didn't well the delivery was
1: a lot different as well you know uh, 50 years or so
0: removed there's also um the other aspect which is and and this is something i've i've found that people when they actually go to hiroshima because i've been to hiroshima when you actually go to Hiroshima and say you go to the Peace Museum uh, and and you engage in these spaces and mm. then you really just stand there for a moment and you think about the fact that this is a site where there's been this immense loss of life and, and, mm. and generations of, of cost in terms of yeah. uh, health and, and impact and you go I think that's that that's when it really sinks in and I know mm. that stories like Sadako's journey, uh, Sadako's, journey Sadako's story um, sometimes have, have also managed to connect um, and act as a form, a sign of empathy but also some people feel uncomfortable feeling bad about it because people feel uncomfortable feeling sad or bad because they feel that they are being held accountable for it mm. it sounds like you know what i mean like it's there's there's a a fear of but it wasn't my fault i didn't make that choice and Mm -hmm. we have that with a lot of scenarios where people feel uncomfortable um i know in some circles there's a term there's different terms that are used to describe that but also it's because we live in a society i think that very strongly discourages us from feeling anything that we we don't respond well to discomfort Mm. that's how i'm being very general About it, I think we're discouraged when someone is grieving. The I actually had a conversation about this that people will, you know, because say a clinician is uncomfortable. Someone's coming in, they're grieving, they're having difficulties with their emotional regulation because they've just lost their partner. Or, mm-hmm. or their mother or the whatever, like in a deep state of grief. When they go to the doctor to help, like, look, I don't know what to do. I need to see some support or whatever. And then a lot of the time, they'll, they'll slap some pills on it. Like, mm. oh, here's some mood stabilizers. Here's some antidepressants. Here's some whatever. And, and I'm not against the appropriate pharmaceutical use of those drugs. Don't get me wrong. I'm not anti-pharma in, in any way. But we don't... Because of the discomfort we have of seeing other people suffering or the thought that other people have suffered from the choices of others. Mm. And whether you have a strong national identity or not will make a difference as to how you respond or react to the situation. If Mm. you think of it as a collective humanity kind of point of view, that this was something that happened because of the choices within humanity to do a thing, and yes there were, it was a complicated scenario there there was a lot going on there was you know there was mm. war you know, but w- the conscious choice and we we keep we keep having these conscious choices made to target civilian rich environments
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the justification being to reduce civilian loss uh, somehow it it's it's um, there's some ickiness because it, it there's more to it and we don't feel comfortable and we don't like dealing with it and I think mm. that's a big topic we need to um, it's okay to feel yucky about it mm-hmm. It's okay to feel sad about it in fact good mm. if you feel sad about it that's a good thing that's good human response if if you then use that I guess that sadness or that, that sense of, oh, I really don't want this to happen. But then you look at the world and go, oh, no, but it could again. And, oh, no, what kind like, and then you feel hopelessness or whatever. There's that option. Or the other option is, okay, well, um, how can I – again, we were talking about this before. How can I contribute to a world where this isn't even a choice that is considered? mm mm-hmm. And it's not going to be a, oh, yes, I fixed it. Hey, I saved the day. It's not going to be one one individual doing that. It's not even going to be a thousand. We talked about momentum in our first ever season. It takes conscious alignment of your actions and your principles and encouraging that also in others as well. And, and the way you encourage it by live it yourself and be supportive when you see it, having difficult conversations.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, I think. You know it's it's a really hard topic. Yes. But it's it's a really important topic. I mean, this mm. is I, I love how uh Vonnegut is is actually showing a human dynamic to it, it's funny. Like I, I I there is the fact that he has a character that's trying to explore the human aspect of the day that something was done to so many people and as you mentioned, it's meant to, it was meant to be a christian book. How do you Wrap your mind around that mm. is 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 fascinating, and I I'm I'm wondering, and I know that for many people, it's these kind of events that shake their faith, mm. because they'll hear someone claiming it is being done in the name of one religion or another, and many individuals can claim that, you can't stop an individual from saying that, but whether it actually reconciles with the fundamental. Nature of what their writings actually say, or if it's an interpretation that's being used twisted to adapt to justify—that's another bigger topic. Hmm. So yeah, so, I now want uh, to make a cat's cradle. <laughs> I'm like, I oh, want oh. string. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so well, I'm getting the feeling that you know we've done five chapters. I've for- I've forgotten that the chapters were so short uh the fifth one was long and i don't know if that's indicative of what a long chapter is but it really was only a few pages really most most of these chapters were just a couple pages uh which means we'll probably be you know uh, i think i'm going to call this episode one instead of like you know chapters one to five might be better just to do this episode by episode yeah (laughs) um so, so yeah i mean very still very early, uh, but you know, I think we both like to have, ask this question at this when we start a new book uh, general thoughts so far it sounds like you you're enjoying it,
0: yeah, it's stimulating like it's 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 a stimulating kind of um novel, which is good I, I, I like the fact that he's trying to stimulate conversation. I think that's the main thing I think it's easy i mean you were you were worrying about tainting like oh sorry eh. Yeah. The tainting of that—that that it's a anti this anti that—it's so not. It's actually there to provoke discussion. What is it that motivates people? Why are they doing what they're doing? How can you justify? How can you reconcile? It's—it's it's, yeah no. It's good to stimulate that kind of challenging discussion, but it's it's important. That's um, good. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, I guess we'll wrap up uh, this first episode. Uh, We will be back uh, next week with uh, episode two. Uh, The music at the top of the podcast is Back in Studio One by Lion Rhythms. Uh, The music at the end of the podcast is, as always, I'm the Slime by Frank Zappa. You can find me over on Twitter at Dave underscore the underscore turnip.
0: And you can find me at Rue That's R O O M C M O O. And you can find our podcast at SMB SLT Podcast. That's on Twitter. That's on Facebook. And if you add at gmail.com, you get to our email.
1: Hooray. Yeah. yeah um, please, if you, uh, you listen to the any platform that allows you to rate or review, we would appreciate that. It helps get this out to more people. I have been told. And Uh, and until next time, uh, I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. I hope you enjoyed your reading. Stay safe, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you.